Parameshrama, Amara Bapa, hallowed be your name. Dandreich, Komme. Your will be done. M. Shaben in Jungle by Ianzo Ezuluin. Pina Nuastra Chaituate Zilele, Tonyano Astas. Y perdona nuestros pecados, así como nosotros perdonamos a quien peca contra nosotros. Y no nos induces a tentación, mas libranos do mal. Terijo Bantire, Agbarantire, Ogontire. En vez de vech, amén. 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 All right, hello, thank you. Thank you for that great welcome. Why don't you join me in welcoming all the guys who are joining us online or in cafe. Let's welcome them. Great to have you with us today. I, I, I'll welcome you all to part two of this series, looking at the, the Lord's Prayer. Now, I have to tell you today, I am very excited. I'm excited for what I've got to share with you today. And I'm particularly excited for this for us as a whole church, looking at this amazing prayer that Jesus said is the model for how we're to pray. And I'm, I'm excited for what I believe God is going to do in us. Anybody else excited about that for this season? But also what God is going to do through us as we learn to take this model for our prayer life and really start to live and breathe it out in our everyday living. I hope you've, if you were here last week, if you heard the message last week, I hope you've made a great start to learning how to use this model as a prayer. Uh, maybe you've been starting for the first time. You know, if you're new to prayer and you're just learning, I hope the first week's gone really well. Hope you're finding the guide helpful and you're, you're looking online and drawing on those resources. I hope many of us are finding a refiring and a new sense of energy and excitement about prayer, which I believe is right at the core of our relationship with God. Uh, or maybe you're just joining us for the first time. Well, I've got good news for you. There's plenty of time to get on board. We're, we're starting today really looking uh, at the very first phrase of the Lord's Prayer as a way of getting into really the depth and the richness of this amazing prayer. And I want to encourage you, get on board. Make the most of this coming season. Now, it may be that as soon as I said the word excited and the word prayer, you were thinking, can those two come together? Can you actually have excitement and prayer together? I don't know if, like me, you, you've ever had that experience where when you're praying, it just feels like hard work. Anybody else ever had that experience? You actually end up feeling more stressed than you do blessed. Kind of your words, if you can get your words out, because everything seems like a distraction, feels like your words get out and they just kind of plop on the floor. Heaven is brass. Uh, brass, for those of you who don't understand the word brass. Uh, you you, you want to get airborne. What you want to do is you want to soar like an eagle. But actually you feel more like a, a pelican learning to fly. There's a lot of honking and flapping going on, but not a lot of soaring. Well, I've got great news for you today. God wants you to soar in your prayer life. His desire is that you should absolutely hit the heights. That prayer should become, for you and for me, not, not a, a duty, but a delight. That in coming to prayer, there's a, a passion for it, not because I have to do it, but because I want to do it. And that actually in the place of prayer, what we experience is joy, not a sense of drudgery. And right here, at the, the start of this season, what, what the Lord's Prayer makes it clear is really 
how we start. And over these next two weeks, we want to get you fired up, all of us fired up in such a way that we know how to get airborne. How many of you want to get airborne in your prayer life? How many of you want to feel like every time you pray, you're not flapping along on the ground, but you're actually hitting the heights and you're going for it. Come on, give me a wave. Agree with me. How many of you want to be there in your prayer time? Well, listen to how Jesus says we should start our prayers. Why, why, why don't you say this together with me from Matthew 6 verse 9? Jesus said this, This then is how you should pray. Our Father who is in heaven. Do you know, Jesus says it's really important how you start your time of prayer. And that actually the key to launching off, the key to soaring in prayer is how you start your prayer time. And right here in this rich little phrase of our Father who is in heaven, there are two glorious truths that if you and I can understand what they mean, but then also learn to remind ourselves of what they mean so that we start our prayers, not just with bringing our needs to God, but we start with Him, we'll actually find we're not just flapping around on the ground, but we actually start to fly and we get launched off. So what we're going to do today, I want to really encourage you to adopt the very simple practice that when you come to pray, there are these two reminders that you remind yourself about as a way of getting started with prayer. Here's the first. Prayer, coming before the Father, number one, is our greatest privilege. Let's say that together. Prayer is our privilege. Do you know, I wrestled with that, that phrase to start with. I wonder if you actually agree with that. When you hear the word, prayer is our greatest. In other words, it's greater than any other privilege that we have in life, the privilege of coming before God in prayer. Just hold that thought. Now, I, I wonder if you're aware that who you believe someone to be determines how you relate to that person. I wonder how many of you can remember, um, I'm sure many of you are aware that uh, Barack and Michelle Obama have been visiting the UK recently and met the Queen again. But how many of you remember the first time they came over? How many of you remember the furore there was around the fact that Michelle Obama put her arm around the Queen? Do you remember that? I, I, what I remember is the Daily Mail and the Telegraph were absolutely scandalized that someone could put a hand on our Queen. Now, you may have been scandalized or you may have been not particularly bothered. But actually, what, what does that tell you? It tells you something about who we believe the Queen to be and therefore, that dictates how we believe she should be approached. Do you know, it's the same with God. Who you and I primarily believe God to be, who we, in the depth of our being, who we really believe Him to be, will dictate the way in which we approach Him. And I would say, how much you love or enjoy prayer. The more we realize who He really is, the more we will come to love prayer. Let, let me ask you a question today. As you come to prayer, maybe even today as you came into a time of worship, what was the mental image that was in your mind that describes your relationship with God? You know, for, for some people, the image they have in mind is of a policeman with a very large truncheon who's kind of watching you and he's just out to get you. And if you, you mess up, he's going to bop you on the head and go, ah, ha, ha, gotcha. For some other people, it's a sense of a, a, an old man who's on a cloud. He's got gray hair. He's very weak and weedy and he's, he's kind of disinterested. 
I think for other people, when they really examine what, what's the image that's in their mind, it, it's of a, a distant ruler, a king, who's powerful but disinterested. And actually prayer is, is like being a medieval peasant who's trying to get some kind of access to this reluctant, distant king. What's the picture that Jesus wants you to have in your mind? What, what is the image that he actually says, this is how to start your prayer? So it's very simple. It's an image of a child with a loving parent. He says, when you come to pray, say this, our Father who is in heaven. He's saying the basis of our access to God is that you and I, we are children of God, children of the Most High God. And he says, that's the image that you should have in as you come to prayer. We're coming to our Father. Now, I, I realize straight away, as soon as I use that word Father, that for some of us, that word Father has negative connotations. That maybe your experience of the word Father is of somebody who was distant or disinterested, or even of, of something worse, that sense of someone who treated you badly. I want to tell you today, our Father, our Heavenly Father is not like that. The Bible describes him not just as our heavenly father, but as our perfect father. Say perfect. Perfect father. In other words, he is the complete opposite. The complete opposite of any negative experience that you've had with father. That is not who he is. And he is way way infinitely, completely superior to every positive experience that you've had of a father. That's who he is. And I believe that within all of us, there is a cry for a father. There is a desire deep within us to know one who loves us unconditionally and who's with us and who's for us. This is our father, our perfect heavenly father. Do you know, to, to the Jews, to Jesus' primary audience, they would have been absolutely shocked that Jesus would say the way to approach God is to call him our Father. Because the, the Jews, they were serious prayers, okay? They had a, a routine of praying. Many of them would pray 18 set prayers a day. And those set prayers were called, at least it's pronounced in Huddersfield, the tefillah. And those prayers, they were set and they, they were words that they were to repeat, be repeated as you came to pray. And many of those prayers had a whole list of words about who God is and what he's like. And then they hear Jesus saying, how do you approach God? You say, our Father who is in heaven. Now, what is he saying there? He's saying, is, is, is our Father a judge? Yes, he is. Is he just? Yes, he is. Is he strong? Yes, he is. Is he the King of kings? Yes, he is. Is he the Lord of lords? Yes, he is. But he is first a Father. And everything about him, every expression, every one of those names is important. But every single one of them flows from his fatherhood. He is first and foremost a father. And that word means he is a giver of life. Do you know when, when again, when the Jews heard that, they'd have been shocked. Because Jesus says, when he says that phrase, our father, he doesn't say it in the classical Hebrew that the tefillah was written in. You said it in the Aramaic, the common everyday language. Do you know, when you and I come to prayer, there aren't any set words we have to say. There's no long things. You don't have to worry about, am I going to get the words right? Am I going to do the right things or say the right things? You've got a father who wants to hear you speak to him. He wants to hear you talk out of your innermost being. 
You know, when, when little children come to a father who they know loves them, they don't start working out the words. It just blurts out of them. It comes out from their innermost being. When you come to your father, you are coming to one who wants to hear what's in, in your heart. And you're coming to one who says, come in common, everyday language. That, that word father is the word Abba. Say Abba. It's a wonderful word. Almost certainly even today, the first word that a little child would learn, Abba. And it has a wonderful sense of love and respect, both. In other words, I'm coming Abba. I'm saying Abba. And what I'm saying, that there's a richness to it. It means you're the king. You rule and you reign. You're the Lord of lords. But you're also, you love me unconditionally. You're for me. You're with me. You're not against me. But you know, it's even better than that. Are you with me today? Are you, I am going to preach myself happy this morning. Okay, I told you I'm, ex- I'm having to hold back. I just think this is extraordinary. Many of you have heard this before. But we need to remind ourselves of the wonder of what it means to be children of the Most High God. And when Jesus says, Our Father, it's actually be- even better than intimacy and closeness. It actually means, notice Jesus says, Say, Our Father, not my Father. Is He my Father? Yes, He is. But it's better than that. He is, my father is Jesus' father. (laughs) So I get in on, you get in on the relationship that Jesus has with his father. So that when you and I come into the presence of God and we got our father, we are saying, I'm in the same position before the father that Jesus is. Is Jesus loved unconditionally? Yes. Yes. Come on, speak to me. Is he loved unconditionally? Does his father approve of him? Does his father want to spend time with him? Yes. Is his father for him, rooting for him all the time? Miraculously, you and I, we get in on that relationship. The relationship that has lasted for all eternity of the father with the son. Now you and I, because we're children of God, we get into that relationship. We get to share it. We are loved as Jesus is loved. Whoa. I tell you what, this is a time to stop. It's a time to remind yourself as you come to prayer. It's a time to stop and say, I need to remind myself. Anybody need to remind themselves of what I'm coming to do and who it is that I'm coming to? Uh, Many writers on prayer, they, they say the key to becoming great at prayer is stopping before you actually start asking and reminding yourself of who God is and what you're coming to do. A guy called Phelps who wrote a book called The Still Hour. He has this whole paragraph that he literally says to himself before he comes to pray. He says this, God is here within these walls, before me, behind me, on my right hand, on my left hand. He who fills immensity has come down to me here. I am now about to bow at his feet and speak to him. I may pour forth my desires before him and not one syllable from my lips shall escape his ear. I may speak to him as I would to the dearest friend I have on earth. How many of you think if you started your prayer time with that, it might do something on the inside? You might start to approach this with a sense of my prayer life is not about a list, it's about a relationship with a God who loves me. 
I, I personally, what I love to do, I may sometimes steal a, a phrase like that and literally I will say that phrase out to myself as I'm coming to our Father and unpacking and reminding myself. I also love to take a scripture that speaks about the love of the Father. Here's one, 1 John 3 verse 1, which says this, and I'll, I'll meditate on it. It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. Is that a great word, lavished on us? That we should be called children of God. How many of you have got a favourite food? Give me a wave. How many of you have those seasons where you, you don't eat it and then you come to eat it? And when you eat it, it's like, oh, I'm just going to. I'm just going to slow down. I'm just going to chew over that bit of salmon or that bit of chocolate, whatever it is. Well, that's what you need to do here. You need to stop and chew over the words. Let's, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to read that scripture again. Just look at it as it's up on the screen or on your notes. And I want you to pick out two words. For a moment, you're all Shakespearean actors. And you are going to pick two words that you're going to emphasize as we read this verse together. And as we chew it over, you know, as you chew it over, the word goes from being just an idea to being something that leads me into the presence of the Father. Let's lead. Have you got your two words? Come on, give me a wave. Got your two words? Okay, here we go. See what great... Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Come on. Okay, we're going to say this together. And we're going to say it from the depth of our being. And we're going to pick particular words. And we're really going to go for those words. Are you ready? Three, two, one. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. Let's do it again. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. One more time. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. It's amazing, okay? God the Father has lavished His love on us. But I want to encourage you, when you come to pray, get hold of something like that. Let it get into your system. Remind yourself of who you are in relationship with the Father. Uh, William Barclay, who's a great Bible commentator, he says you, you need a mental image in your mind as you, you come to pray. And he, he uses the image of a, an old Roman story. I don't, I don't know if you know, but in, in Roman times, an emperor used to have the right of what they called a triumph. If they'd won a, a great victory, they had the privilege of going back through the streets of Rome, displaying all their defeated enemies and their, their trophies through the middle of that city. I want you to, to imagine that scene. There's an emperor going through Rome. And he's got a massive crowd of soldiers behind him. And they're carrying victories in their hands. They've got trophies, awards, prisoners are behind them. And the streets are lined with Roman legionaries. And they're holding back the crowds to keep them in their place. The crowds are cheering and shouting. And as this whole parade comes along, it reaches a place where there's a platform. Where the empress is with her family. And on that, that platform is the emperor's son. He's a little boy. And as, as the emperor's chariot reaches the platform, the little boy jumps off the platform. He burrows his way through all the, the crowds. He tries to dodge past the legionary. The legionary grabs him, picks him up, and he says, son, you can't do that. Do, do you know whose chariot that is? That's the chariot of the emperor. The little boy says to him, he might be your emperor, but he's my father. And he jumps down and he runs to his father. That's, and Barclay says this, he says, 
That is exactly the way the Christian feels towards God. The might and the majesty and the power are the might and the majesty and the power of one whom Jesus taught us to call our Father. Can I encourage you this week, as you come to a time of prayers, you're praying the Lord's Prayer. Don't just jump in. Stop for a moment. Remind yourself who it is that you're coming to. Greater than any other emperor, greater than any other king, and yet you're his child, the beloved son and daughter of the Most High God. As you come to prayer, remind yourself. You know, we're coming in a, uh, in a, a short while to our 21 days of fasting. And I'm sure many of you will be thinking about the things that you can give up, like chocolate, like sprouts, like football, like social media, whatever you're going to give up. And there's a great blessing in giving things up. It will bless you. But you know, there's a much greater blessing in saying, not only am I going to give things up, not only am I going to fast from some things, but I'm going to feast on God. Do you know, I really believe for many of us, God has set aside some encounters for you and me. That as we come into this season of prayer, he wants to take many of us deeper into a new experience of what it means to be children of the Most High God. Can I encourage you in this season, let's be people who are consistently preparing ourselves and being ready to meet with God, to meet with him. So if you want to get airborne, the first thing I want to encourage you to do is to remind yourself of our greatest privilege. But actually there's a second thing I believe we need to remind ourselves of. And that is that not only is this our greatest privilege, but you and I, if we're Christ followers, we have incredible access into the very throne room of God. Let's say that phrase together. We have incredible access. What I'm encouraging you to do is to learn these two phrases. That when you come to pray, you can just say to yourself, I've got the greatest privilege and I've got incredible access. There are two halves to this phrase. Jesus says, say, or let this be the model, our Father. We've unpacked that briefly. When he says, who is in heaven, what he's saying, what it would have meant to those, his original listeners, was this is an invitation into the very presence of the king. And that for the Jews, they would have immediately had temple imagery in their mind. Now just listen to what the the writer to the book of Hebrews says. He says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, so he's speaking to us, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. Where, where do we come? What, what, what phrase does the writer use there to describe where we're coming when we're praying? He says we're coming into the most holy place. Now this is, this is incredible, okay? Up, up on the screen there'll be a, a, a diagram of the temple. And some of you will already know this, but some of you may not be aware. Before Jesus, okay, that's really important. Before Jesus, there was a whole structure of sacrifices and offerings that had to be made in order to even come close to God. And you see from that diagram how there's an outer courtyard, there's a holy place, and there's a holy of holies or the most holy place. There's only one place where the manifest presence of God dwelt before Jesus. Do you know where that is? It's the most holy place. Now, do you know who could go into that place? Only one person. 
from the whole nation. Do you know how often he, and it was a he, how often only he could go in there? Once a year. In other words, you and I, most of us who are Gentiles, we, we were so far from the presence of God, we're not even on the diagram. We're, we're out somewhere else. We were in an utterly, utterly hopeless situation. There was no hope for us ever getting anywhere near the presence of God. Now, what the writer is saying, though, is when Jesus came, everything changed. Say, everything changed. Everything changed. So what, what is he saying? He's saying, look, when Jesus came, everything changed so that you and I can go straight into where? The most holy place. We don't have to go through the outer courtyard, the inner courtyard, the laver, and the bread, etc., etc. We go straight into the holy of holies, the most holy place, the very presence of God. And Jesus is the one who has given us access to that place. Now, I want to tell you, if you can get hold of this, it will change your life and it will radically alter your prayer life. I'll tell you, my experience with prayer was before I really understood the Lord's Prayer, before I really understood what, and this is the critical thing, before I really understood what Jesus had done for me on the cross, my prayer life used to pan out one of two ways. Either I would go, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, and I get to your kingdom come, your will be done. And I think, this is the real prayer bit. This is what prayer is all about. And I'd spend a long time on your kingdom come, your will be done. And then I'd, I'd have like 20 seconds on, uh, the rest of it, which I'm not going to do now because I've forgotten. <laughs> or that was one way it would work. I was on my list. The other way it worked was I'd come to prayer and be like, so aware of everything I've done wrong. Anybody ever experienced that? It's been nasty to my, this is, this is fiction, okay? It's been nasty to my wife. I've just beat the dog. I've just had a nasty thought. I've done this. I didn't do so well at work. And I'm coming into the place of prayer with all these things in my mind. And I, just through some teaching I'd had, we were taught, start by confessing your sin. Now, how many, it's just me. How many of you then find the prayer time's quite long? And all it is, it's the stuff I've done wrong. And then I saw something. Oh, yes. When Jesus died on the cross, he died that I might be forgiven. Wonderful news. But he also died so that I can come straight into the presence of God. Because the basis of my acceptance by God is not how good I am. Come on. It's not how good you are. It's on the basis of what Jesus has done, not of what I did 10 minutes ago. And that means I can come boldly. Say boldly. The writer says confidently into the presence of the King. Jesus has made the way. So it means when I come to pray, I don't have to spend hours thinking, I got that wrong, I did that wrong, I did that wrong, oh dear, that's awful. I can come straight in. I can start my prayer from a place of acceptance and love and forgiveness. Now hear me right, do we need to deal with sin? Yes, but where does it come in the order of the Lord's Prayer? Towards the end. <laughs> Come on. In other words, I start from a place of right standing with God because of Jesus. And then as I connect with him again, somewhere in my prayer time, I'm going to stop. And I'm going to go, God, I love you. I love your presence. I don't want to sin. And I'm going to deal with it from a place of love and acceptance, not from a place of trying to earn his approval. Because I already have that place. 
I tell you, if you catch this, it will completely, radically change the way you pray. How many of you might need reminding of that? Or is it just me? Come on. How many of you need to remind yourself, maybe more than once a day, maybe every day, that when you come to pray, you can say, Father, listen, I do this nearly every day. Father, I'm coming to you, not on the basis of my goodness, because we're in trouble if we do that. I'm coming on the basis of what Jesus did. The one whose body was given for me, who died so that I could be forgiven, who died to bring me to you. I'm coming on the basis of what he did for me. Father, you have declared that because of what Jesus did for me, I've got access into your throne room. And I'm coming today boldly. I'm coming confidently. Oh, I want to drive this home with you, okay? Just look what happened to Jesus on the cross. Look at this. In, in, um, this is so powerful. Matthew 27, Jesus is on the cross. Verse 46, it says this. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What's going on here? On the cross, Jesus, the perfect, sinless, completely obedient son, was separated for the first time in all eternity from his father so that you and I failed, sinful, disobedient children can come into a relationship with a father. He was separated so I can be joined. He was set apart from his father so you and I, we can come right in to the presence of the king. Jesus declares with his last breath. It says, goes on, it says, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Look, looking at the other versions of accounts of Jesus' death, it's almost certain. What was that loud cry? It is finished. Ha! What is finished? Guilt is finished. Shame is finished. Condemnation is finished. The power of those things is broken off my life and off your life too. We have access into the very presence of the King Himself. He was separated so I can come close. He took my place so I can have a vital living relationship with Him. Look, it says, here's the temple again. At that moment... When Jesus declared, it is finished. So at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn into supernaturally from top to bottom, okay? It's not a weedy little curtain, this. It's inches thick. And it's ripped from top to bottom. Like the Father is going, now, come in. <laughs> come in, my children, to the most holy place. Come into relationship. Come back to where you belong. It's for what you were made for. Can you see why I got a bit excited? This is incredible. How many of us need reminding? Look how Paul puts it in Ephesians. He says, Paul says, for through him, for through Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Just want you to imagine for a moment that you've got some, some friends, uh, you've got a family, and they're not so well off. And you would like to bless them with a, a day out at a some kind of fun fair, somewhere that you know they'd love to go, but they can't afford. So you save up the money, you buy them an all expenses paid ticket, okay? All the food they want, every ride they can go on. They get to get past all the queues and get to the front of the queues. They get specially looked after by Mickey Mouse or someone, looks after them. Now, when you give them that ticket, 
which gives them the right of access, the full rights of access to that holiday. What do you want them to do with that ticket? Do you want them to go, oh, that's nice, uh, but I don't feel worthy to go in? What do you want them to do with it? Use it! <laughs> you want them to go right in. You want them to get on the rides. You want them to eat the food. You want them to have a fantastic time there because the right of access has been given to them. You've paid the price. What does God want us to do now that we've been given rights of access to his presence? Draw near. Come right in to the presence of the king. Do you know, Jesus paid the price once for all. If you will, the entry is covered. His goodness, his righteousness has covered it so that people like you and I can draw near with confidence and boldness to the presence of the King. I don't know about you, but I need reminding about that almost every time I come to prayer because I've found it's possible to be a fully committed Christ follower, even filled with the Holy Spirit, and yet never come to fully experience the wonderful invitation to intimacy with a heavenly Father who loves us. Or, this is particularly my experience, I can lose sight of what it means to be loved by God, to have access to His presence, and the privilege that is mine in prayer, and the access that I have to Him. I need reminding of that. Do you know, on the night before Jesus went to the cross, He said this. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Do you know, for the first three years of my Christian life, even though I was, I'd met Jesus, I was reading the Bible, I was praying, I was at church, I was talking to other people about Jesus. I lived the Christian life like an orphan. I prayed like an orphan. I lived like an orphan, even though I had a heavenly father. It wasn't until I'd been a Christ follower for three years that Jesus, as he says here, led me to the Father. I don't know, even now, I can find myself living as though I don't have a father who's rich and powerful and good and kind and generous and who loves me and who's for me. I can pray like an orphan. I can pray as though I don't have a father who's with me and good and kind and generous and wants to bless me and open doors for me and who's powerful. I don't know, about how about you today? I want to ask you, do you know the father? Have you come to know the father? You know, today, as you picture your relationship with God, what's the image in your mind? That will tell you everything. Is it the image of a child with a loving parent or something else? Or have you, are you living today in the light? Are you praying today in the light of who He is? You, do you need reminding of how good He is, how strong He is, how wonderful He is? How many of you think that your prayer life might go up a degree if you started like this every day? How many of you think you might actually pray bigger prayers, want to pray longer prayers? You think, actually, if I started like this, I could change everything. I want to tell you that's the truth. It's been my experience, the experience of many people, starting every day, knowing that you're unconditionally loved, knowing that because of what Jesus did, the guilt's gone, the shame's gone, the condemnation's gone, and I've got access into the very presence of the Father. As we head into to week two of this prayer season. The application from today's word is very simple. Two little phrases for you to take in that as you launch off in prayer this week, just start. Don't get into asking until you've reminded yourself of the greatest privilege 
and of your incredible access to him. And what I'd like to do, just as we close this message, I'd like to finish by leading us in a short prayer, a phrase at a time. I want to ask all of us to join in. If you, if you agree with this prayer, whether you're here, whether you're watching us online or at Cafe Church, I ask you to join in this prayer. I'm going to say it a, a, a phrase at a time. And in this prayer, what we're doing is we're saying, uh, the, in, the intent of my heart is I want to know the Father. And it might be that you've never even given your life to Jesus and you actually want to start that journey of knowing the Father today. Well, as you pray that prayer, the Father will hear it and he'll come running to you. Or maybe you've lost sight of the Father and you want to say today, I want to come closer to you. I want to renew that sense of getting close to you today. Well, as you say this prayer, let it be your way of inviting God back in. Or maybe, like me, you just want to know this God more. Anyone want to know this God more? Live from a place of love. Well, maybe you, with me, you're saying this prayer in a way of saying, God, I feel like I'm just dabbling in the shallows. I know you're good, but I spend too much of my life living like an orphan. And I want to live permanently. I want to pray permanently from a place of your goodness and your power. So why don't you join with me as I say this prayer a phrase at a time. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the incredible privilege I have in being your child and knowing you as my Father. Thank you too for Jesus' death on the cross for me. Please forgive me for everything I've done wrong. Father, I want to know you more. Come into my life by your Holy Spirit and fill me and flood me with a greater desire for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.